Hello and welcome to the Low Tox Life Podcast. I'm Alex Stewart, your host, and today is show number 122. It is the second in our little mini summer series where I'm just playing you a couple of my favorites from the podcast so far and really just grabbing extracts that were full of ahas that really resonated with people and uh, and got lots and lots of comments. And uh, I kind of wanted to string together a couple of themes that seem to come up for people again and again. And those themes, obviously, last week we heard all about sleep from three fantastic different angles, from neurologist to uh, dentist uh, to PT. And uh, this week I'm bringing you women in stress. Uh, and it's not to say that men don't experience stress. Of course you do. And you have a couple of fantastic shows that I did with the wonderful Dr. Ralph Esposito on men's health. And we touch on stress uh, actually multiple times on both of those shows. If you want to head back and you're a guy listening today. Uh, But for our women out there, uh, a lot of us have taken on, um, excitedly so, wonderful careers since since the dawning of feminism, if not before, And, uh, and yet we still do about three times the work on the home front. Um, through as much of a cultural conditioning and fault of our own to, to not yet feel comfortable starting to outsource, but we are there and we need to start looking at what it's doing to impact us as a way of becoming aware first to then know how we can actually change things. And so today I string together two big chunks of highlights from two of my favorite shows on this subject and on the subject of women's health uh, firstly with Dr. Carrie Jones and secondly with Dr. Libby Weaver. Uh, both were such fantastic discussions. Uh, and again, from two really different angles, but kind of so overlapping that uh, it really just serves to strengthen the case for us to all pay attention to stress in our lives. So if you are a woman who's stressed, if you know a friend who is, uh, please share this because it'll at least give uh, the listener a couple of fantastic shows and a, a few highlights from both of those shows for you to then go digging a little bit further, maybe listen to the whole episode. Um, but before I hook into the first part of today's summer series on women and stress, I just want to remind you that you have the Natural Bedding Company 10% off for the whole of January and uh, you have all the details in the show notes, the link to go through and, and buy um, and your code that you're going to need to use to get that 10% off. But if you've been thinking, you know what, I'm sick of having a spring mattress, I'm worried about EMFs and conductivity through my mattress, or I'm sick of feeling super um, sweaty because my mattress is synthetic uh, or whatever, you know, maybe you're just reaching that 10-year mark where we're all told that's when you got to change your mattress over. Whatever the reason may be that you might be in the market for a new mattress, please make this month the month that you have a look at pure natural latex. Uh, the Natural Bedding Company is wonderful to be giving us a little cheeky 10% and they have pillows as well. I love my good latex pillow. It is something that you sleep with your face squished against for eight hours of every day, uh, if you're lucky, I guess. And uh, and it's really important that we make sure that that is made from natural 
uh, materials and not that, that we're not breathing in synthetic micro dust and, and all sorts of badness. So go check out the offer on the show notes, which you can always find on lotoxlife.com forward, forward slash podcast, and then just click on today's show tile to get the offer. So uh, without further ado, I am going to start with my uh, a, a chunk of my original podcast that I did with Dr. Carrie Jones. Uh, the whole podcast theme was hormones, but uh, this snippet that I've taken from it, about 20 minutes or so of what was a, a one-hour conversation, is around cortisol and cortisone, uh, estrogen, and it not necessarily being the bad guy. And uh, we're also talking about um, the fallacy of the term adrenal fatigue in Carrie's eyes and what she means by that being not quite right in terms of uh, as far as labels go. So enjoy this first part of the show and I'll, uh, I'll do a little segue between my chat with Carrie and Libby's a little further into the show. Uh, now let's talk, um, let's keep talking hormones rather. So <laughs> something that piqued my interest in the Dutch test results was the detailed analysis around cortisol and cortisone. Now we don't talk about cortisone much and, uh, in the Dirty Gene Summit, actually, I heard you and, um, Dr. Ben Lynch talk about it in quite, in quite a lot of detail and it was a really exciting thing to learn the differentiation of. And so I was super excited to have you on the show to, to share that with our audience. Can you just talk a little bit about what each of those is and what we're dealing with in both when like one's either depleted or elevated, wrong times of day, all that kind of stuff? Yeah, absolutely. That's so probably I, like a two hour show in itself, yeah. but like abridged version. Let me just, let me just shorten that to a minute. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So when the body makes cortisol, um, you know, the brain tells the adrenals to put out cortisol for various reasons. And so cortisol is made first and cortisol is what helps us handle stress. It handles inflammation. It helps our immune system. It, it handles your blood sugar balance, believe it or not. It helps prevent, um, or reduce autoimmune risk. I mean, we need cortisol. It's important, but when we get too much cortisol, the body and, in, and it can do this in different tissues or through the body as a whole can deactivate it, just essentially turn it off. Like, okay, we're done with you. And then it turns it into cortisone right. and it goes back and forth all day long. So if you need cortisol in a particular muscle or, you know, tissue gland, then it'll turn on to cortisol. And if it's too much and it's damaging, it'll turn it into cortisone. Mm -hmm. And so what people don't realize is that you may test, let's pretend you test um, either a blood test or a, a, a urine test or a saliva test, and you have very, very low levels of cortisol. Mm -hmm. But what you don't know is if do you, do you not make it or are you just deactivating it all? So if you don't have the big picture, then you may be treating yourself for cortisol, trying to get your body to stimulate all this cortisol when the fact is you make plenty of cortisol, you just turn it all into cortisone. So mm -hmm. you're just worsening the problem. And so that's what's great about the Dutch is you'll get, you'll get both answers. How much cortisol do you make? And then how much of it's getting deactivated into cortisone. Right. And when someone is having that um, situation where it's getting deactivated into cortisone, how does that present for someone? You, fatigue is usually the biggest, mm -hmm. um, the biggest symptom. So that's why it's tricky because people, you know, fatigue is probably the biggest symptom everywhere for yeah. everything. And yeah. so they think, oh, it's cortisol. I, it, it must be a cortisol problem. Like, well, actually, 
I mean, it is, it's a depletion of cortisol. You're just making too much cortisone. Right. Um, and we need to address, you know, the, the, the cause, the why, and then help you flip yourself back into cortisol mm-hmm. if that's, if that's appropriate. Yeah. And what do you see being some of the most common whys for that happening? Um, I'd say the two biggest reasons that I see one is after, um, an acute illness. Uh So my analogy is remember when, like when you get the flu and you're home and you're sick and you have a fever and then all that gets better and you have to go back to work. So you don't have a fever anymore, but you're still so tired. You know, you go to work and you're like, okay, I'm not feverish, but this is ridiculous. I'm, I'm exhausted. It's part of that heal and repair process. The Mm -hmm. body will sort of prefer more cortisone to, to help you like, Hey, slow down, rest, heal. Like we're not done getting mm. you better. You know, like you can only take so many sick days, but like you kind of have to stay home a little bit more. Yeah. The other most common reason is extended long-term stress. And I see this all the time, having seen thousands of tests where people have been in a fight or flight situation for so long that the body goes, I'm over this. We're mm. going to deactivate every. We're, we're going to deactivate you to cortisone because if you won't slow down, I'm going to force you to slow down, mm-hmm. and because you become tired. Now, as humans, we never, ever, not ever listen to our body, so we just keep <laughs> pushing or relying on caffeine um, to go. But the body is right there in the lab work. I can show people. Look, that your body is trying to tell you, you you actually literally need to slow down. Yeah, right. Like I think that would be the case for a lot of moldy people. I'm a moldy person recovering. And um, yeah, yeah, like you just, you, you, I remember just starting to feel because you're, um, there's just so many symptoms that run around in your head when you're talking about it um, that I find it hard to talk. But because you get jacked up, with your nervous system and like you're buzzing and you're twitching and you're tremoring, all these crazy things are going on there and your heart's beating faster and palpitations, but because you just can't sleep and then you get so exhausted and more tired and more tired, but you're more wired because you're more and more affected by the mold. It's mm-hmm. the craziest situation. And, um, and I remember feeling like I just needed to try and sleep for days and days mm-hmm. and days. And this is probably why a lot of multi people get misdiagnosed with chronic fatigue, right? Mm. Yeah, I would, I would agree. Yeah, I mm. would definitely say so. Mm. Yeah. Wowza. And, and then, uh, which, but it's also, they, they need to, but mm. they just, right. They just can't. Yeah. <laughs> They still have to live their life and they have to, you know, raise their family and they have to go to their job and they have to, you know, do stuff, go to the store. And I was at a lecture this past weekend and um, Dr. Daniel Amen was speaking of the Amen clinics, you know, the the big brain expert. Oh, yeah, he's amazing. He was amazing. Mm. And he was talking about the adrenals and the effect on the HPA axis. And he said, if you are at the point where your HPA axis is um, downregulated, you're not making as much cortisol. Um, in order to repair, he goes, I tell my patients that they have to say no for a year. And I was like, oh, that's 12 months. And he, he, I mean, the whole room was like, what? No, like, like, you mean like a month or, you know, eight weeks? And he was like, no, a year. You have to literally say no to everything you can for a solid year if you ever expect to recover. And it, he's, he's such a realist and he's so yeah. just, he puts it out there. I love it. But the whole room just went, oh. 12 months of saying no, you know. I know. (laughs) Like because we would treat that as, oh, my God, you're making me put my life on hold. Yes. Actually, it's like you take a step back to take a billion steps forward once you're better. Yeah, it's the truth. It's exactly, yep, exactly. But it's still hard as a a person in this day and age to – 
just to say no, to set boundaries. Absolutely. We're, we're so turned on and we're so plugged in and we're so connected and we're so, you know, everybody's busy, right? When you ask your friends, how are you? I'm busy. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I know. <laughs> I hate the busy culture. And it's like, I, I mean, I got really sick and I feel like it was just, it was a, you've got to always try and find the gratitude in things. There's always a great lesson. And mine was definitely to just say no more often. And, um, Mm -hmm. and while I'm still very much a student in the field of saying no, I like, I'm not great at it. I feel like last year, the more I said no, the more good stuff actually came up that I could say yes Mm -hmm. to, because I had preserved my energy for what mattered. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, and I think that's like a bit more of a philosophical sort of tangent that we've gone on, but I think it's an important one. Absolutely. There's this funny meme floating around and it says, if your immediate response is not heck yes, then it's a no. Yeah. And I was like, oh, that's that's true. Yeah. If yeah. it doesn't make your heart burst with joy, like, yes, I'm, that sounds amazing. I'll do that or I'll sign up for that or volunteer for that or that let's make that happen. Then it's then it's a no. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, now, estrogen, we, we talked about it super briefly, but I do want to dig into this because I feel like at the moment it's like being made out to actually just be a bad thing. And, you know, it's like, oh, my God, my I have too much estrogen. Like, and that could be true for some people, but a lot of people in health or who are interested in health topics then tend to jump on bandwagons that they don't even need to jump on because mm-hmm. maybe their estrogen is, like, actually totally fine. Mm-hmm. Um, at the end of the day, women, um, and even men to a certain extent, of course, it's in the mix, we need it. Um, right. And, like, I'd love for you to talk us through estrogen and its different forms and their roles for us. So yeah, we absolutely. fall a little bit more in love with with estrogen. I think we need to. Well, and I, you know, this is what I tell my, um, like my menopausal women. You know, they're so they're so concerned. You know, oh my gosh, estrogen gives you cancer. It gives you cancer. And I'm like, well, but estrogen also preserves your bone health. And estrogen is what um, helps your memory, and it helps you. Prov- it's one of the ways to help prevent against Alzheimer's and dementia. Mm-hmm. And I don't necessarily mean taking estrogen, but like the own est- your own estrogen in your own body is doing these things. Estrogen helps you with collagen so you don't have wrinkles. And so you have nice, healthy skin as opposed to, you know, women who wake up one day and and they call me and they go, I look old. (laughs) What (laughs) happened? I'm like, I know you're losing estrogen. It's estrogen. Um, It helps with, you know, with, um, with sex, it helps with, you know, orgasm. It helps with um, just so many things. And so I tell women, I understand the cancer risk. Don't get me wrong, but Um, it, and it, it helps with weight loss, believe it or not. It's especially in menopause, low estrogen is a trigger for weight gain right. and, um, it, it, high estrogen can as well. Don't it, it again, it's that Goldilocks, you know, you it's, it has to be right. Perfect in the middle, mm. but too low of estrogen. And the reason is, is the body can make estrogen out of in fat tissue. The body can take your, 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 um, androgen hormones your if in women, your guy hormones and convert it into estrone, which is E1. And so if your body senses like, eek, we don't, we don't have a whole lot of estrogen to preserve our brain and our, you know, our, our bones and our, mm. our skin, then it's going to make you gain weight. And for some women, unfortunately, it's kind of this very, 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 very old, um, archaic survival thing for humans, for women from, you know, way back in the day. Um, so they would get, go into menopause and gain weight. Um, but yeah. now and nowadays we don't need it. Most women, you know, are have some extra fat on them that they probably don't want. And mm. we have so many environmental estrogens floating around that are creating similar problems. But that whole that whole like sort of archaic 
chemistry kicks in and women, you know, say, I got into menopause or perimenopause and I put on, I put on all this weight. What happened? I'm like, oh mm. yeah, it's an estrogen response partly. Mm-hmm. So, so yes, estrogen is the body wants it. The body needs it. It's yeah. important. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, in terms of when we do have too much of it, estrogen detoxification, it's obviously, um, like I'd like to help people understand proper estrogen detoxification. I think, well, you kind of spoke about it really already in the, yeah. the pathways, and the, right? The, and the big one is a lot of people, um, which I'm sure a lot of your listeners, because will will say, oh yeah, estrogen detox, I should eat broccoli and kale and cauliflower. You know, I've read that these, these, the brassica family are really helpful for detox and it's true. It's totally true, but it helps particularly your phase one. And so, um, there's a constituent in the broccoli and the kale and the cauliflower called indole three carbonyl I3C or diindole methane, which is DIM, D-I-M. And so people will load up on that. They're like, oh, I have estrogen dominance. I took the test online. My, you know, Mm -hmm. practitioner said so. So I'm going to eat all this broccoli and take all these pills. But then what happens is they don't realize they're going to, in the end, they deplete their estrogen because the, the pills and the and the food are quite powerful and they will actually pull your estrogen out of your blood and push it into your liver to go through detox. And so now women say, well, I was feeling good, but now I'm having hot flashes and brain fog and I'm gaining some weight. And I'm like, mm-hmm. okay, now you've got, you've swung the other way. Like, whoa, too much, too much broccoli caps, you know, too much dim. <laughs> Step away from <laughs> the broccoli. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and so that's when I say, like, this is why getting your, your phase one and your phase two tested. So, you know, like you really actually need to take broccoli capsules. You know, do you really need to take that <laughs> indole three carbonyl? Yeah. Maybe you need phase two instead. And or maybe you need both. Like this is why testing is important so you don't make yourself worse. Right. And then so what if you end up in a situation where you've made yourself worse, how do you – is it as simple as like stopping yep. your dim supplement and your broccoli <laughs> yes. and your, your, your body balances itself out or do you actually have to like go and eat, I don't know, organic soybeans or something? Like, like how do we <laughs> – No, usually they just have to stop. And usually I don't see it nearly hardly as much as with food base. I, d- I definitely don't want your listeners, listeners to freak out over broccoli. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's it's the potent. It's when it's – you know, when everything's encapsulated, then it's it's – they make it very, very potent. And yeah. so I tell people, hey, just lay off your capsules for a while. <laughs> lay off your tablets for a while and 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 see. Because usually it does bounce back. Usually yeah. it writes itself. Yeah, gotcha. Okay. Yep. And um, and which form of estrogen do, does environmental chemical exposure show up in? Or is it across all of them? Well, unfortunately, the environmental chemicals don't um, – like they don't show up in typical blood or even the Dutch testing. So wow. if you, okay. if I drew, if like, if I drew an estrogen and an estradiol, which is the most potent form of estrogen, if you had a whole lot of, you know, um, like plastics in your body, let's say, yeah. um, it, it won't actually, like, I can't test the plastics part, but what they do is they bind to the estrogen receptors and they cause those receptors to turn on. Mm-hmm. So you have all the same symptoms estrogen dominance, maybe mood swings or PMS or heavy periods or weight gain or, you know, whatever. And, um, because those, the plastics or, you know, the, the BPA, the, the, the phthalates, they've all bound to the receptor and they're naughty and they, they turn everything on and, um, with, with no regard for what really needs to happen. And then the receptors go, okay. And then they just create all these estrogen dominant 
downstream effects. Wow. And I mean, it's just such a real problem, isn't it? Because huge people uh, haven't really caught up. Like if in a regular GP surgery, for example, you, um, or MD, you're not going to often have one that has a conversation around environmental toxin exposure when there's a high estrogen result. Right, right, exactly. And and as as you know and, and talk about and educate about, you know, mm. it's it's not just um you know, the chemicals. You know, some people will go, Oh, I don't live in an area. I don't live around any environmental chemical places or I don't I don't smoke. I'm like, No, no, it's be it's like <laughs> Do the you toothpaste. Use shampoo? Right. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. It's it's your lotion. It's yeah. it's the you know, your face cream you just put on. It's that chapstick that you just put on your you know, before yeah. you walked in the office it's yeah. it's it's the receipts the thermal receipt you just accepted from the cashier when you bought your groceries and it's everywhere yeah it is everywhere but that's okay we're we're working on that right exactly mm. yeah. so hopefully sooner rather than later oh yeah yeah if i've got anything to do with it it will be it's yes good. thank goodness <laughs> <laughs> um now something that you said could be a bit of a bombshell um, to many was that adrenal fatigue does not exist. <gasps> no. <laughs> um, yeah. So please explain. Well, so first and foremost, I would like to preface it by saying the fatigue part exists. When yes. people listen to this and freak out and say, you know, oh, I am tired, I damn it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I am tired. Carrie, you're a liar. Like, Carrie, you don't know what you're talking about. No, I, your symptoms are 100% spot on. It's the why. It's mm. the why are you so tired? It's not your adrenals. It's actually your brain. Okay. Because the adrenals aren't, um, they don't make the decision. They mm. do what they're told. They're like little soldiers. So yeah. if the general of your brain says make cortisol, they do. And if the general of your brain says stop making cortisol, they stop. So it's like we need and to so, go a step behind. Yes. In the we need to go up a level. Chain. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. We, we're going upstairs. So, yeah. Exactly. So and the, and the adrenals, they're not like the ovaries. They don't go through menopause. You know, they're not meant to shut down and stop making hormone. Um, and, and I understand like adrenal fatigue is a sexy term and it's a coined term and there's books written about it. And I fully get that. Um, but the, the why, so when people go, Oh, my adrenals, my adrenals have shut down. I'm like, well, actually they were told to, mm. <laughs> so we have to, let's look up higher. Yeah. So when we look up higher, where are we looking? Who is telling our adrenals to shut down? The, so the hypothalamus in your in your brain, mm -hmm. and then they it tells the pituitary, and it's they're highly influenced by absolutely everything. Um, your ability to make or not make cortisol is influenced by actual real things like real stress or real chemicals or real infections, but it's also influenced by um, uh, I call it uh, anticipated or perceived, which is you can, you, if you make mountains out of molehills, mm. if you say to yourself, um, today is a beautiful day, but it's going to rain. I know it is. It always does. Mm -hmm. You know, if you already have that mindset, your brain goes, okay, it's going to rain. And then it, 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 it works appropriately. Yeah. And so I warn people, if you're a worst case scenario person, if you, if you go to the dark side, mm. you're stressing, the brain goes, all right, let's gear up. Like clearly it's going to be a bad day and it will put out, you know, more cortisol or it'll downregulate cortisol. Depending. Right. Yeah. So I, I tell people, hey, be very be very aware of what you think because your brain reacts the same, whether it's real or not, especially in the world of cortisol, especially. Yeah. If, wow. you're, if you're scared in your brain, if you're having anxiety in your brain, if you're picturing images that upset you in your brain, your cortisol will go up. 
That is so cool. I mean, it's just cool that our bodies yeah. do these things because once you understand, then you actually know to go, right, I'm totally cheating you. I'm going to be yes. the most positive person. This morning yes. I'm going to write in my gratitude <laughs> journal and I'm going to talk yes. about the three things I'm most excited about today and have a meditation and screw you, cortisol. Yep. You are not showing exactly. up. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. That's exactly what I say. Yep. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Sure. And so the secret lies in really understanding the HPA axis then and all the things that influence our fight or flight, um, freeze even, and then the rest and digest response. So what are the components of the HPA axis that we need to understand? Is it the stuff we've already talked about between the hypothalamus pituitary talking to the adrenals? Is there more to it? Absolutely. Absolutely. And just as as long as you remember that anything you come in contact, you know, with everything you you know, put on your body, put in your body, the food you choose, the way you choose to respond to your family or your, your children or, you know, how you handle stress, all of that goes right to the brain. And then the brain deals it out from there. Like, okay, cortisol needs to go up or cortisol needs to go down or we, you know, and, and so you can make the biggest impact on your own HPA access just by being aware of those things in your life. Mm, and choosing to respond differently. Yes. We can't get rid of all the stress, of course. You know, I can't get rid of, you know, like there's no magic wand for that. But um, as long as you recognize it, like the situation is going, you know, this stresses me and and, you know, maybe planning ahead or say no. Mm. (laughs) It's supposed to say no for a year, (laughs) (laughs) you know, so or or do with all the things you said. Choose gratitude. Write, you know, write in your gratitude journal. I tell people even um, if that's overwhelming to them, like put put happy thoughts on a post-it note and just stick it on your mirror, mm. just stick it on your car and and then just look at it every day. It's, it's a conscious, you know, you look at it, it goes right to the brain and the wow. brain recognizes so it. So we, so it's basically like the, we are actually smarter than our brains. Yes. In a but weird the brain way. Is, but in the, our, in yeah. our, our brain's winning <laughs> in, but this, I mean, in this world. Yeah. And I, I love what you said about, you know, some, we just can't actually avoid stress because that's so realistic. You know, quite often mm-hmm. we're told that like, you know, people think, oh my God, maybe I've got to go and live like in a monastery and just pray all day. <laughs> but like... I I say this with food, I say it with toxins, with anything. Like I color my hair once a month, right? And for me, Mm -hmm. it's I do what I do most of the time so I can go Mm -hmm. with the flow some of the time. And I think our physiology is the same, right? We do the best we can for it so that when the SHIT hits the fan and something really bad happens and we do have a, a genuine stress response, then we're okay because we're actually in a really good place physiologically. Yes. Would you say that Absolutely. that would be? Yeah. Uh, my, I, it's the bucket analogy. I tell mm, people recognize yeah. when your bucket is getting full because, because if I'm, I, my, my husband has ADD and he's dyslexic uh-huh. and so organization is, and, and cleanliness is not his thing, Yeah, but it's mine. And so I tell him it doesn't bother me at all unless I'm stressed out when my bucket is full and I start to pick on you for how disorganized and how messy you are, then, you know, my bucket is full. And, and then mm. I, you know, and I recognize it too. Like, okay, hold on this normally doesn't bother me if I'm not stressed out. So I need to make some adjustments. Yeah. So with, with my, you know, friends and family and patients and clients, I say, recognize when your bucket's getting full and make adjustments. That's such a good piece of advice. So good, right? I hope you got some fantastic takeaways from that part of 
uh, my chat with Dr. Carrie Jones. And please do head back to the original show, show number 87, uh, to listen to it in full. There were many more pearls of wisdom in there. And, uh, and now we head on to uh, an extract of my show that I did with Dr. Libby Weaver. So many of you have been so excited that Libby and I have finally managed to tee up a conversation on the show. And it was wonderful seeing all of you guys share it on Instagram. I am eternally grateful for the fact that you take the time to share the show with people that you think might be interested in the information. It's awesome. So thank you. And uh, in this extract, I decided to really focus in on uh, Libby's work around uh, raising awareness about this concept that she coined the term of uh, called rushing women's syndrome. Such a good next 22, 23 odd minutes. And, uh, and I think if, if it doesn't have you, along with the, the excerpt that I shared from Carrie's show, if these two chats don't have you sitting down and having a think about how you can make 2019 uh, look uh, a little more uh, healthy on the the stress front and on the attitude to stress and gratitude around leading a rich and full life, then uh, I don't know what is, but um, I'm certainly inspired. So enjoy this chat with Libby now. I wanted to start today by kind of having a little bit of a chat about how dis- I discovered your work, which was one of those good old-fashioned viral shares of a TED Talk that friends do from time to time. And it was your TEDx talk. And I it really resonated. Straight away, I was like, oh my gosh, this is fantastic. This is the conversation women everywhere need to be having about what we are faced with in modern day times compared to what cave woman was faced with. And it kind of laid the foundation for um, your Russian women's syndrome book and the general awareness you've spent years and years raising um, on, on that issue. So I thought we could start there if you're okay to indulge us for whoever's been under a rock and perhaps not come across that TED Talk. I've definitely popped it in the show notes today for everybody to grab and, um, and sit down with a cuppa and watch. But um, how did you come to, uh, to study those two, compar- those two different women in those two very different times? So uh, I guess the rushing woman syndrome, I think it's important listeners know too that it's not a medical condition. It was just the name I gave my book back Mm. in 2011. Uh, And it was born out of my observation of an enormous change in women's health. So uh, I'd worked with patients one-on-one, I've worked with them for 20 years and I saw a dramatic change uh, about 12 or so years ago now. And uh, women would burst through the doors of my office. They'd tried to cram a huge amount in before they actually got to their appointment. And the changes in their health were becoming more and more dramatic and uh, more and more severe and, and more debilitating. So it, paused, it, it led me to pause and just consider why is this happening and why there's so many uh, hormonal challenges, for example, presenting now for women. And the way I tend to explain it, Alex, is that science suggests that humans have been on the planet for about 150,000 years to 200,000 years, although I think that's going to get blown out of the park really soon because they've found some artefacts in China that have been carbon dated to be, um, have been made by human hands and they're more than a million years old. So look out. That's exciting. It is, isn't it? So look out for what's coming. Um, But anyway, let's, I'll just stick with this original concept to to explain this point about rushing woman syndrome and our cave woman biochemistry. So I get people to visualize 
that 150,000 years is being represented by a 30 centimetre school ruler because I think we all remember what those they look like. Vaguely, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then the smallest mark, the smallest unit of measurement on that school ruler is one millimetre. So if the school ruler at 30 centimetres, if that represents 150,000 years, one millimetre represents 500 years. Mm-hmm. So if we now fast forward and consider the rate of change we've undergone in the last 30 years, my point is it would be like a pinprick in, in, in its size on that school ruler. So comparatively, the 30 years is the tiniest drop in the ocean in an amount of time compared to the enormous amount of time as a species we've been on this planet. Mm. And, we, and we have undergone such rapid rates of change. So much has dramatically changed in the last 30 years let's consider some of that. It wasn't that long ago that when we left the house, no one could get hold of us. I'd actually like to reinstate that. Oh my God, how good would that be? Yeah. (laughs) Uh, People actually had to turn up to things. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. And also there was downtime, you know, from when you left the house to when you got to wherever you were going, you could observe nature, you could be present with your own thoughts and reflective. And yeah, so, so, so much has changed just, you know, even with, with those moments where we were uncontactable. Um, social media is only just over 10 years old. The food supply has changed dramatically. When you think about the school ruler concept, uh, it wasn't that long ago where we were literally hunting our food, foraging for our food, otherwise we didn't have any food. And then if you also think about what's happened for women uh, in the very, very recent past, when I was doing the research for that TEDx talk back in 2014, I came across an American postage stamp uh, that was released in 1939 and it was a caricature of a a woman and she was flexing her bicep and flexing her arm so a bicep was popping out and the statement on the postage stamp said we need you so that was really the first time that women were called into the workforce in any great number uh, because all the men had gone to war and that's not even 100 years ago so when we consider that that wasn't even 100 years ago where so much changed for us, it, the way I'd like to phrase it is it wasn't that long ago in human history where we as women were given the opportunity to do what had up until that time traditionally been our father's jobs and a lot of women have maintained what were traditionally their mother's responsibilities. And so what's unfolded for a lot of people is this frantic double shift of work day and night with very little, if any, rest. Now, of course, we're capable of that from an intelligence perspective Of course, we can match it with the boys in any arena we choose. But what I want people to deeply, deeply appreciate is that we have never, ever, ever asked our bodies to live like this before. And Mm. some people's bodies rebel and and hormonal challenges are one of the big things that starts to come through for women when their bodies are rebelling. Mm. Yeah, it's almost like we drink the Kool-Aid of the new modern life, but just as with any new exciting drug, there are side effects, right? Yeah, beautifully said, Alex, beautifully mm. said. And if we consider that as a species, as a, as an animal species that humans are, uh, obviously with consciousness, but as we evolve, we we tend to evolve very gradually. And so we really are, because we're living in such a new way, we haven't really yet evolved to be able to completely and utterly handle this new this new way of life that we've created. Mm, crazy. And well, it's not crazy because we're seeing it all around us. And, and I think, you know, we'll, we'll come to talking about this a little bit later with your new book, The Beauty Guide, which I absolutely want to make sure we bring up, um, is the aspect of how much we've started slapping on ourselves and eating that wasn't around back in cavewoman days either. 
Mm, exactly. And food's become, people have made food very complex and it doesn't need to be. For me, there's there's no such thing as junk food. There's just junk and there's food. Mm. And for all of human history, we've eaten food up until the very, very recent past when the junk has all come in. So yeah. it's, um, it's if when we phrase it like that and, and think about it like that, our bodies were designed and have all of the equipment inside of it to break down what we currently call whole real food, which is just food really. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. And it's, it's it's crazy how complicated real food has even become. And I feel like that could be like a whole nother um, podcast show in itself, really. <laughs> yeah, let's do that. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, but like for one question on that topic, um, because I know you address this so beautifully along the way through many of your books, is is helping people be the masters of literally their own domain when it comes to finding true suitability of food for themselves. Yes, I don't believe there is one size fits all and I do Woo-hoo. believe <laughs> I do believe very much that you know inside yourself better than anyone external to you what is right for you. There's a voice inside you that has your back. There's a voice inside you that knows when you need to go to bed, knows when you need to get off your emails and go outside and change the way you're breathing or change your posture or stand up and walk more. And it's the same voice that knows that it's time for lunch now or it knows that you need something more than a coffee just for lunch. Hmm. It's just that we don't always listen to that voice and uh, it's uh, it's our beliefs often that get in the way of that. Our beliefs drive a lot of our behaviour and it's why with my work there are three pillars to it, the biochemical, the nutritional and the emotional because mm. that, third, that third pillar where we ask the question, why do you do what you do even though you have the knowledge that you have, there's a lot of juice in that to, to changing longer-term behaviours, particularly with food. Oh, 100%. It's why I've got mind as one of our pillars for food, body, home and mind because you can see so many people so dreadfully stressed out about trying to keep up with being 100% organic or, you know, like I just think if we don't hold that mind piece to the highest of regards just as we do any other pillar in living a great happy life, healthy life for us and the planet, then, you know, we're, we're really missing the, um, if not the overarching thing that ties it all together to truly being implementable. I so agree. And um, there's a, I was I'm in the middle of a speaking tour at the moment and I was chatting to a girl last night and I could see her immense desire for perfection. Just, it was so visible to me, bless her cotton socks and she had a big health challenge and so I asked her, I said, do you identify with the idea that you're a perfectionist? And it, and she did. And it really is a mask that fear wears. We There's a massive difference between having high standards and deeply caring and then I think absolutely annihilating ourselves with harsh judgments when uh, when, when we hold up this this ideal of whatever we perceive perfection to be. And it can, that alone can be incredibly destructive to physical health, mental health and almost to our soul really. Mm, absolutely. And in fact, you talk about this in the beauty guide um, and uh, like that idea of um, comparison culture. Now, this isn't just about looks. This is about exactly what you were just talking about with people holding like this idea of what truly healthy looks like and comparing themselves to someone who looks like they're abundantly healthy and having all these sadly dark and and um, shameful conversations with themselves like how do we how do we unpack that and start to build people's power back up within themselves Mm. I love this question Alex thank you I think firstly I think it's really important to recognize that not that long ago we probably cared about what 
I don't know, five or ten people thought of us. Now it's it's natural to to care what other people think, but now people care about what thousands of people think of them, and most of them are strangers. Mm. So um, I think the number of people uh, who we potentially compare ourselves to is is probably dramatically well, it has dramatically increased. I think, and for me, stress. Real, and I'm not talking about trauma here. I'm talking about everyday little stresses, you know, like running late or our to-do lists or emails or whatever it might be that stress people out. Stress, I think, really is an achiever's word for fear, but it would just be a bit weird if we walked around saying I'm scared of my emails, although <laughs> I I totally am. I totally <laughs> I'm, am. I'm completely frightened. I'm totally press that refresh button <laughs> yeah. when it comes to mid-morning and I, I, I check in on my emails for the first time. And I just kind of go, oh, please. And then you see the whole page of black come up and you're like, no. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. And then we go, we just reframe it, don't we? Yeah, exactly. It's it's all a great gift. Exactly Uh, right. So can I stay with that? Because that was something that I absolutely loved hearing you say in in a keynote a couple of years ago. I think that one was for business chicks as well. And um and you talked about the reframing of, of busyness. And sometimes it's actually completely fine to be busy, especially if you're leading a rich and fulfilling life full of amazing things that you absolutely decided you want to be doing. And um, and I think speaking to people that day, I remember that presented a beautiful shift for a lot of people um, because, you know, quite often we've been told that busy, you know, the glorification of busy means stressed faces and I don't want to be doing this. And you kind of almost have to socially say that you resent all the stuff that's going on because that's what is more normal and acceptable. Like we're all burdened, but mm-hmm. if we bravely reframe as you, um, invited us to do that morning, I truly believe you can feel quite excited by how much you've got going on. Um, can yep. you can you talk me through whether that's um, safe biochemistry wise for us to do that reframe and if it actually does help? Yes, it, and it it completely it's game changing mm. because when we think if we use the school ruler again uh, for this analogy, up until the very 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 recent past, the only time we ever made adrenaline, one of our stress hormones, was when our life was physically in danger. Whereas now our stress is far more psychological in its nature and we tend to make adrenaline uh, because of our perceptions of pressure and urgency. Now, I'm not denying for a second that there aren't things that aren't urgent. Of course, there are. If you get a phone call from school and your child's been injured, that's urgent. You want to get there as quickly as you can. But what most of us have done is we've made what we do each day full of stress and pressure and urgency. Mm. So the first thing is I think that language the language we use has a dramatic effect on our nervous system. So when we look at a to-do list and go, oh, kind of like eye roll or, or you feel your shoulders slump and you think, oh, I have to do all of this, you can, you can reframe it and think, wow, what do you mean I get to do this? Mm. And uh, because and and you with with that little tiny subtle shift in language, you get back in touch with the privilege of of your life. So and and your days and and your tasks. So it might be that you have three school lunches to make uh, first thing in the morning before you do ten other jobs before you get the little people out the door, and then you've got six jobs to do before you get to your own uh, paid employment where you've got to meet the needs of everybody else for the whole rest of the day, and then you do your morning in reverse uh, as you head home in the <laughs> evening. <laughs> Uh, and then collapse onto the couch at half past ten at night with not a, not a lot le- not a lot left in the tank. So mm. it's very easy to feel overwhelmed by that, to feel burdened by that, and to perceive 
pressure and urgency in everything. And yet if you stand there when you're making the three school lunches, the privilege is that you have three healthy children uh, for whom to make lunch for. Mm. And one day, one or two or three of them are going to move out of home and go off to their own lives or to university. And you might have mornings where you think, oh, I miss making so-and-so's yes. lunch or you know, <laughs> yeah. we miss those sweet little moments that we have right now that really make up so much beauty in our life. Um, but you can also flip it and think, well, I can make these lunches because I, I have the money to be able to afford food and it's fresh food and aren't I privileged and et cetera, et cetera. So you can yeah. reframe I think, anything. But I was reminded very powerfully of the way pressure and urgency really is a, a perception when I spoke for the hereditary breast and ovarian cancer society. And uh, that room was filled either with women who had been told they had the gene for breast and or ovarian cancer, or they had one of those cancers, or they were cancer thrivers. Because uh, I don't think you just survive cancer, you're a thriver. Mm. And a lot of the women in the room had a lot of life's biggest, toughest things happening all at once. So some of them shared with me that they had a poor prognosis. Others shared with me that they had an unknown prognosis. So their mortality was that, that was really in question. Uh, they Many of them were suffering so much with their treatments they'd had to stop work. So there were financial challenges. Some shared with me that their marriages and, and other relationships had broken down. They had challenges with teenage children and on and on really the list of challenges they were facing went. Mm. And I spoke to um, many of the women who were in that room individually at, towards the end of that day and I ask questions of people often when uh, after I speak. They ask questions of me and I ask questions of them. It's one of the ways I continue to learn. And the theme in my mind that day was, uh, and I asked each of these women individually, do you feel like you're living in a world full of stress and pressure and urgency? And every single one of them said no. And when I asked how that was possible, the essence of what they communicated back to me was that they just felt so privileged to still be alive. Oh, wow. So we don't want it to be some kind of health crisis that wakes us up to truly how magnificent all of this is. And holy smokes, yes, it's busy sometimes, but what a, what a gift that is that we have such full lives, such rich lives, and those lives truly are so privileged because all of our basic needs are met. And when yet for too many people in the world, that's not the case. So I think even when we're going through truly tough, genuinely tough stuff, there is just so much uh, to be grateful for. And when we are grateful in those split seconds, our nervous system can't make stress hormones because your nervous system can't focus on two things at once. <laughs> oh, that's handy to know, can't it? <laughs> no. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah. I, well, that is just so, proof in the pudding of things like gratitude journaling and all that good stuff. It is, Alex, because, and I'd just like to say hello to all the multitaskers out there. Because <laughs> we, we I hold actually, my hand up in shame. Yeah, I, I learned a long time ago that I couldn't do it and um, <laughs> was very excited when I found the scientific evidence for, for why. Yeah, yeah. Um, but we can do two things at once, but we can't focus on two things at once. So so your actual nervous system, your brain is is in one place or the other. You can be doing two things, but you're not focused on two things. Yeah, yeah, right. Okay, cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm, like, I'm literally thinking about so many things that I do throughout the day or week right now, like going, oh, is that me? Or, you know, I'm sure everybody else is the same. Um. Okay, so we can reframe stress, we can move to a conversation of gratitude and we can therefore change the biochemical reactions that happen um, by consciously doing that, correct? 
Yes, I truly believe that. And I also think it's very important to catch ourselves in the act. So life will just keep going the way it's going unless we make a concerted effort to alter some of these responses. So when I think it's really easy to look out upon our life and think, okay, well, I can't change this. I can't change my job right now. I can't change my mortgage repayments. I can't change the fact that I've got three school lunches to make in the morning, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. So when you look out upon it and you think I can't change it. And if you believe that that's the source of your busyness and your rushing and the, the pressure or the urgency that you perceive, the only option we have is to change the way we look at all of that. So to, to, to not produce all these stress homes or stress hormones relentlessly in our day. Mm. So so when we see it like that, if you then catch yourself in the act of, let's say, running late really bothers you. So you'll be on your way somewhere, you're running late, you get all worked up on the inside and you sit there in the traffic thinking, oh, I'm so stressed, I'm so stressed, I'm so stressed. Instead of doing that, if you can remember the, the concept or try on the possibility that perhaps stress is the achiever's word for fear and you bring real curiosity or even tenderness uh, into, into your own mind and think, okay, so if this is, if this stressed out feeling I have right now is showing me something that I'm frightened of, I wonder what that might be. Because if you think about it, what is there to be stressed about running late? It's not the actual act of running late. If you pull the curtain back on it, what you'll see is that what stresses most people out is what other people think of them. Mm. And so instead of sitting in the stress and just repeating to yourself, I'm so stressed, I'm so stressed. If you pause and think, okay, this is actually coming from my big, beautiful heart because I care so much and I really value what my boss or my colleagues or a family member or my friend or whoever you're running late to meet, look how much I care about them. I care that they know that I'm a good person. So you then, when you get there, you then show up with a very different pathway in your communication instead of it being this intense rushing in and that kind of infiltrating perhaps through the whole meeting or the catch-up you turn up and you say, I'm so sorry that I'm late and it, I, I got quite worked up about it because I care so much. I care that you know that you're important to me, that I value this job or I value this friendship. or And it just proves, pr provides you with a platform to have this most gorgeous, authentic conversation. Mm. And, and that's really what it's about. So Yeah, I that's like beautiful. That, I feel like that really helps to shift this sensation that we have of, of always being stressed. It's kind of like we're worried we're going to let people down or we're worried, yeah, that people are going to think that we're thoughtless or not kind or respectful and uh, and we're not those things. Just Stuff just happens and it, it, that, that I think that um, framework helps us to have a different conversation and then therefore change our biochemistry. Yeah, beautiful. And in terms of um, that, the, the aspect of, of slowing ourselves down because we do need to do more of that. There's no question um, compared to like cavewoman would look at us, wouldn't she? And just go, you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> yeah. She would be, she would be laughing in her behind that rock in her cave. Most definitely. <laughs> yes. And I think um, to the, to the um, great benefit and almost admiration that I hold for men who literally know when they've done their dash for the day and are able to 100%, it seems in most cases, completely switch off, sit on couch and say, my time, done. I'm done. I am done. And women are like, oh, but I'll just do the this and I'll just do the that and I like list of 20 things. And then the husband might look up casually and go, I thought you said you were going to bed. <laughs> just, 
very or and then when they're ready to go to bed switch off light roll over bye bye and it's done and um and i feel like um women just is it that we are biologically wired to take on all of the extra things um now that so many of us are working and obviously a lot of that home stuff hasn't gone away it doesn't go away Mm. um or is it that we're culturally um wired because I've, i've had a few chats um, with various guests in the past on this, and I'd love to see what you believe or, or what what you've mm. seen. I think it's both biological and cultural, mm. uh, and I think our culture can shift faster than our biology, to be honest, because mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> uh, bi- biology takes generations and generations to start to shift. So um, men are what that meant forever. Men have gone out in the daylight um, to do the hunting, the protection, uh, and returned, and it's built into them that they know they need to rest again before they go out <laughs> uh, and, and do what they did the day before again. So I do think that there is a huge aspect of this that's biological. It's just that in the past for women, it was just a consistent amount of work, a consistent amount of effort, a consistent amount of alertness, awareness, um, doing of tasks that happened, I think, far more consistently across the day. Whereas it was really what I was alluding to in the beginning when I talked about the frantic double shift of work day and night yes. because uh, we, we've maintained uh, a lot of women still today and research shows this that uh, women have maintained about three times the amount of house chores uh, than men at the moment. So, But that will gradually shift the more uh, our voices grow and I just, I'm trying for it not to be that women's health suffers before mm. they speak before they speak up and say, I need help. I can't do the double shift. I need, we all need leisure time as well as actual sleeping time. That's what's really massively been eaten into. I think, you know, not that long ago, we might've done eight hours of work, eight hours of leisure and eight hours of sleep in a day and night. Mm. And and now it's just workers eaten across a lot of people's leisure time, even into their sleep time, to be fair. And, and, um, and that can take away our fulfillment in life and our joy in life because not all of us are in positions where we get to do jobs that really light us up and that we love. There are people that do jobs so that they can have, you know, great holidays or leisure time or buy books or mm. buy organic or buy organic food, whatever their whatever their value system reflects. Um, so if you if you're not lit up by your work, then I think it's so important that there's time spent doing other things that really nourish your soul. Uh, because uh, life can can lose some meaning if if we're not doing things that fulfil us. So yeah. to answer your question, Alex, I think it's biological and cultural. Yeah, combo of both. I believe the mm. same. How good, hey? Cultural and biological, which means there is a lot of hope for us to change the cultural aspect of it at least and, uh, and our attitude towards stress. I think that's one of the biggest ahas I've had around uh, hearing Libby speak about this topic for a few years now is I have to do this and switching it to I get to do this. It really is a life-changing micro-change that we can all make and it's kind of like a little muscle, I think. You really have to practice it. So I hope you enjoyed those two extracts. I encourage you to go back and listen to the full Dr. Carrie Jones and Dr. Libby Weaver shows uh, if you enjoyed what you heard today. Uh, and uh, and enjoy the lot. And um, I guess just to finish, I thank you for joining me for this little couple of summer series episodes that I did. I hope you enjoyed either discovering for the first time or listening again to a couple of old favourite episodes, uh, at least in part that is. 
And, uh, and I just wanted to um, say, please do come and connect with me on Instagram at Lotox Life or come and join the Facebook community. And if you really want to get involved in discussions, uh, the little micro challenges we create f- uh, off the back of some of the uh, podcast topics, etc., then you might want to check out our Patreon page. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N. And then just search Lotox Life once you're in there, because via Patreon, you can pledge whatever you fancy per month. I'm absolutely not judging anybody. There are people in there for one, $2 US a month. Some people like to do my suggested cup of coffee a month, which is $4 US. And, um, and other people amazingly and generously do more than that. So what that does is it gets you the little link to our private Facebook chat group and the access to all the little extra things that we do for um, members of the Lotox Club. So if you fancy joining us there, either grab the link via today's show notes or uh, just check out Lotox Life on Patreon, uh, the website, and pledge and voila, you, you will be in. And I will love uh, seeing you and welcoming you there. We have a fantastic practitioner hour once a week where you can get clarification from our gorgeous naturopath, Steph. Uh, and a whole bunch more in store for this year that is 2019. Thanks so much for joining me this week, and I'll see you next week to start our very first actual show for the year. And I'm going to keep you in the dark about what that is for the next few days and let it be a little surprise. So have a wonderful week in the meantime, and thanks again. Thanks again.